Marie, the baguettes! Today we're talking Beauty and the Beast on Writers Get Animated. Stay, Stay tuned. tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling and animation. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today we're discussing a tale as old as time. 1991. 1991. That's that's how old time this tale is, as old as. Mm -hmm. uh, Beauty and the Beast. In celebration of the ongoing live action Amotron, the machine that's generating all these live action Disney <laughs> Disney remakes. Written by writing bot five. <laughs> so the live action Amatron uh, that Disney has that's releasing Beauty and the Beast starring Emma Watson um, in March 2017. And she looks we, perfect. And in celebration of the 25th anniversary of the animated film Beauty and the Beast, which we are concentrating on. So it's more about celebrating 25 years of Beauty and the Beast and also Beauty, Beauty and the Beast being released from the Disney vault into our lives once again. This hypothetical so, vault. This hypothetical vault. I don't know where this vault is, but... It's uh, in our hearts. I'm glad, I'm glad that it's open. This is a fun fact. Currently... All that <laughs> this is going to sound really wrong, but currently all the Disney princesses are out of the vault. They're on the so, town. They're having a good time. So all fourteen Disney princesses are fourteen now. Are are out and about and able to be purchased? Okay, they're, that, they're that, that's, that does sound really I've, weird. But you say the Disney I'm, princesses, princesses, <laughs> the Disney princesses themselves can be bought. They're out and about on the town. You just got to find them, drive around for a little bit, look for a princess. They have a type. They wear a certain kind of thing. Uh, and then you can purchase them for yourself. I'm just continuing what you were saying. I know. I, I tried to stop myself. <laughs> and I did stop myself. But you, you continued my line of thinking. I didn't mean it in that sense. But... This, this has never happened before, where all the Disney princesses are available, their films, their <laughs> films are available um, out of the Disney vault. So, Is this anyway, counting like Brave with Merida? Uh, I, I said Disney princesses. I know, I know She's that a Merida, Disney princess now. I, I, I totally understand, and I totally want to... I'm, I'm just saying the Disney animated, not Disney slash Pixar, but... She totally is a Disney princess. She had her inauguration. She was there. She was inducted into the, the fold. I'm, I'm just keeping it to the, the 14 of Disney. Just, just Disney. Walt Disney animation. There's some qualifiers on this blanket statement. Moving on. So in light of this, we're going to get really into this film. Um, the one that my seventh grade teacher, Mrs. Porter, loved, and that nothing could ever top Beauty and the Beast. Until The um, Lion King. Well, I remember fighting with her about Aladdin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so that, 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 that was my favorite. But Beauty and the Beast, I believe, if the word masterpiece can be used, it should be used. It should. I would agree with that. This won't be a very debatey episode. We're both just going to be agreeing a lot that Beauty and the Beast is a masterpiece. Yeah. Hashtag spoilers. Good night, everybody. <laughs> oh, we forgot to do homework time. That was a really short episode this time. Hmm, interesting. But <laughs> so let's talk about Beauty and the Beast. Um, released in 1991, as we said, 25 years ago. Hard to believe. Beauty and the Beast can now... Rent a car, which is wonderful mm -hmm. for Beauty and the Beast. Um, they could get out of the castle a lot faster. <laughs> it's the first animated film to be nominated for the Best Picture Oscar. And it's the only one before any nominees were expanded before to more than five. Mm -hmm. 
So it was a huge deal when it was released to be able to be nominated and taken that seriously because more so than now, people saw animation as something for children and to have it be taken this seriously was a massive, massive honor. And to be fair, I'm looking up right now what was nominated for Best Picture that year. Um, so we had... Da -da -da. Oh, next one. No. Oh, man, I thought I had this pulled up right. Yeah. Here we are. Oh, Silence of the Lambs. Okay, that's a good one. Okay, so Beauty and the Beast lost to the Silence of the Lambs. The complete opposite kind of movie. <laughs> In every way possible. <laughs> and the other nominees that year for Best Picture were Bugsy, JFK, and The Prince of Tides. None of wow. which I've seen, yeah. Wow, that's... Uh... Wow. <laughs> I, just, I don't know how else to react to that list. Although Thelma and Luis uh, also came out that year, but was not nominated for Best Picture. No, it wasn't. No, it was not. And the Fisher King came out that year? What were they doing with the Best Picture nominees? That's not what we're here That's to talk about. That's not what we're talking about. I'm getting lost. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plug that hole before you go any deeper. <laughs> oh, no. Into, into that rabbit hole. Um, so <laughs> the what's great about Beauty and the Beast is the storytelling. I feel... Like it's where they got the true beginning of the Disney Renaissance. We started with Little Mermaid a little bit, which is, so to speak, uh, dipping their foot into the water a little bit with uh, understanding what the Disney Renaissance was. Dipping their fin into the air. Either way you want to do it, but yes. <laughs> um, and then we immediately after Little Mermaid, they tried something new, which was a sequel, Rescuers Down Under. So I, oh, I feel like that, that I feel like that was a little step backwards for a moment. And then they hit with Beauty and the Beast. Let's be honest, this whole like 90s musical age of Disney that we associate it with has its ups and downs and overlaps with other things. If we count Little Mermaid, there are other films that happen at the beginning that overlap with this period. And I would say it ends with Princess and the Frog, and there's obviously a lot between Princess and the Frog and the movie before it in this classical era. Right. Including gems such as Chicken Little. Uh, and, um, what's the Barnyard one? Home on the Range. Home on the Range. Atlantis. You like Atlantis. I love Atlantis. I think Atlantis is sorely underrated, as is Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet does not get the amount of love that it deserves. I'd agree with that. Let's keep giving Beauty and the Beast the love that it deserves. Because it deserves a lot, but we want to place it in its history and where it is. It, I mean, it it stands at the beginning of something really terrific, and it just was a lot of things that came together and a lot of people doing some of their best work mm -hmm. to create this. I feel like thematically, this is very much a, a turning point for the big headlining Disney movies because it is it's a it's a princess story. It's got a castle. It's got a it's got a prince. It's got someone who becomes a princess. There's lots of fun dresses. Um, but it, it's really like the opposite of all the classic Disney movies. She doesn't fall in love with the handsome, overachieving guy who rescues her from an evil monster. Right. There is an evil monster, but it's the love interest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So to, so to speak. Yeah, you know, which there... we'll get into. I have lots of thoughts on that. <laughs> so... Um... But it also is one where the the music just is so much entwined with the story, more so than any other, I think. I think it did the absolute best where the songs are just a natural heartbeat where it just beats a little faster and then expands into the inevitability of a song. Mm -hmm. I feel like in Beauty and the Beast the way that they told their story just called for songs it's and very, called for them. Yeah, it's very opera is what I would say. Yeah, and um, that's to the total credit of Howard Ashman 
and Alan Menken. And I think throughout this, I just might just keep harping on how much of a genius Howard Ashman was. Mm -hmm. um, just amazing work. Just amazing work that he does. And to put that in context, that duo did the Broadway musical Little Shop of Horrors. And because of that, they were selected to do the music for The Little Mermaid. And I'm looking mm -hmm. at Chris to correct me if I'm incorrect in any of my statements. But then after The Little Mermaid, they did Beauty and the Beast, and that was Howard Ashman's final movie. Howard Ashman did some work on Aladdin, mm. some very preliminary work in Aladdin. So you will see his name on some of the songs of Aladdin, but also they grabbed Tim Rice to complete up, who in his own right does wonderful lyrics. I mean, he did Jesus Christ Superstar and... Um, was responsible for the songs in The Lion King, and he's done amazing work. Um, I think Howard Ashman brings this cleverness to to his lyrics that's also subversive, mm -hmm. but it's subversive without being cynical or sarcastic. So it's like this pure... Um, what do I want to say? What is the word I'm looking for? Sincere. Mm -hmm. Howard, it's this sincereness that, and sincerity that Howard Ashman brings to his lyrics that just works. There's nothing, when he's playing around, you don't feel sarcasm at all. Yeah. Um, I feel like each line of the songs has a little bit of surprise and delight in it, uh, which are the qualifications for something being good writing in my book. Um, I stole that from someone who stole that from someone, so don't attribute it to me. But surprise and delight. Um, even like in Be Our Guest, you're expecting something to be said in the next line, and then there's like a clever play on what you expect to be said. Try to a good yeah. example. But. I mean, anytime that somebody, and this is from Little Shop of Horrors, but anytime somebody can work the phrase Sturm and Drang into a song lyric is just... Uh, <laughs> It's just great. Mm -hmm. It's just wonderful. But he could be on the nose in terms of what he's saying, and then the next phrase just completely, I don't want to say undercuts it, but he says something on the nose, and then the next phrase will then turn that and transform the thought. Because he, he allows the characters to be honest, which we'll get into as we talk in depth about some of these songs. But it's... It makes sense that then Beauty and the Beast became a Broadway musical because it pretty much already was. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. The people who wrote the music had a Broadway musical before then, and it feels like a musical. Hmm. Can we just lift this wholesale and put it on a stage? Almost. You could almost do it. They had to, they had to fill in some other holes and give the Beast... A song and do some more work with it but they you could almost take beauty and the beast as it was put it on stage and call it good mm -hmm. as a broadway musical do you have a favorite song from this movie i don't think i have a favorite song because in a lot I, I hesitate to say gaston because that's just like the most fun <laughs> song that's there yeah but but the music because of Alan Menken's score and the themes that he uses from the songs themselves, it feels operatic, as you were saying, because it feels like it's one contiguous song. They pause in it's the middle just, of some songs to have dialogue and then go back to the song. Which is a very Broadway thing. Mm -hmm. Like that, the very first <laughs> opening number is about seven or eight minutes long, <laughs> which is like a Broadway opening song. It feels like a Broadway song. Mm -hmm. And they changed nothing about it when they put it on stage. Like, the, there's no change to it. It's just, yeah, this works. Let's put it on stage. Mm -hmm. um, and there's been interviews with Alan Menken where he's talking about the process. And they're like, you know, we can't give this song to Disney this way. They're not going to want this, you know, eight-minute-long song that's this Broadway number, you know, it's like, well, let's, let's send it out, out to them and, and do it. Like, but they, it's, it's interesting that they took what the storytelling that they knew how to do and it translated perfectly into this animated film. So again, animation is not a genre. It's a medium. Mm -hmm. 
It's a medium. <laughs> it talks to so, ghosts. Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay. I see what you did. Thank there you. we go. We're it playing. Took, it, it took Surprise me and delight, Chris. Um, what I like about this opening number is it also, in terms of this era of Disney, gets the animators a chance to really show off a little bit with how technology maybe has helped them change how animation works. Because while it is a Broadway opening number, and you get like everybody in the chorus gets a single line, that means they get to draw a hundred extras who get to be in the scene, who are all just like actually animated into the scene. Like, for 1991, this is fairly breathtaking there are a lot of other movies before this have a lot of animation in it as well but it's nice to kind of establish at the beginning like okay we're pulling out all the stops for this movie we're gonna have a stained glass opening sequence there's gonna be 100 people in the village walking around while bell sings yeah i mean it's it's remarkable the opening that takes you from one breathtaking thing to the next breathtaking thing um that opening shot um, where we just see the castle, the beautiful castle, and it looks like something classic from Disney in terms of using the three multi-plane camera system of Snow White. It has such amazing depth mm -hmm. to that shot. It's like, wow, did they just pull out the multi <laughs> like, let's get the multi-plane out from the attic and shoot this on, on it. And it just gives it such depth and it's, gorgeous and jack's reaction my son jack four years old was like i love roses that was like his first <laughs> it's like and that was his first thing like i love roses they're beautiful and it's just we just move into to tell the story of this through the stained glass windows but it moves from that to the gorgeous shots of bell's house and her just walking through as the music starts and then seeing the village and it just starts with this burst of energy. It's just breathtaking. It doesn't give you, a, you can't breathe. Mm -hmm. You can never breathe through the whole opening sequence. First 15 minutes of this movie, you're just like, I don't, I, I'm just lifted and transported. You're on board. It's going to happen you're, and you're, you're with it. And mm -hmm. I will say, I haven't seen this opening sequence in its original form since the, YouTube parody Bonjour Girl came out. I think I've watched that maybe 30 times in the past eight years um, where they go, hey girl, hey girl, hey girl, hey girl, hey girl. Um, I don't think I've seen the actual opening title sequence for Beauty and the Beast until <laughs> pre-watching it for this since like the 90s, maybe. <laughs> I stand by that. No, I watched it in college once. Um, and it's still, it still, it stands, it holds its ground. It's really good. It tells an amazing story, too. Um, the, what's interesting about it is we, we start very easily or very early on getting theme. Mm -hmm. And it's all through Howard Ashman getting this theme of this girl is so peculiar. Nobody likes Belle. Everyone, well, they're friendly to her, but it's friendly like you treat people that you don't like you have to be nice to people so they don't go off and go crazy on you mm -hmm. so they're just very polite to her and some people understand her like like the bookstore owner mm -hmm. he gets her he understands who Belle is she's just a woman who enjoys reading mm -hmm. and to some of these townspeople they just have no concept and no understanding of how she works. She's mm -hmm. so peculiar. There goes the baker with his bread, like always. Right. And this girl is not like always. She doesn't fit That's in. That's right. She does not fit in. She's not like the rest of us. Which is a really interesting blanket statement from these townspeople. Mm -hmm. Which comes up with my first dramaturgical thing. <laughs> Shoot. As, as, we, as we go in. Um, I mean, Rochelle had a dramaturgical issue from the very opening, which I think many people have. But let's talk about Belle as a character. Okay, let's talk Belle. Um, and with Belle, she's beautiful. And mm. the townspeople say that. It's no wonder that her name means beauty. Her looks have got no parallel. Is your dramaturgical um, issue that her name is Belle in French and they're talking about 
how her name means beauty, but if they're actually singing in French, their native language, they'd say, her name is Belle. It's no longer her name means Belle. It's no wonder. No, that's not. Oh, okay. That's my dramaturgical issue. No, no, no. That's not my dramaturgical issue. My dramaturgical issue has to do with Gaston. Mm-hmm. Um, why would he go after Belle? They say it. I know. It, it, I, I understand they say it. But it's, he's going after her because she's the most beautiful? Yeah. Because he's the most beautiful. That's all that he's concerned about. It's his tragic flaw, if you will. But aren't those triplets beautiful as well? But they're not as beautiful as Belle. But they're blondes. Aren't blondes more beautiful than brunettes? They don't care about that in France. They're like very Nordic. They don't like the whole Nordic thing at that time in France. Okay. That's what I'm going with. All right. So, um, but, but maybe it's also a difficult catch. So he, he likes the pursuit. The hunt, if you will. The hunt. I, I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I, I'll, I'll grant that. Yeah. Like, There's a pass. This is the whole movie is about beauty and where it is. And you can kind of follow that path. If we're going to talk about our characters now, we can talk about our three main characters, Belle, Gaston, and the Beast. And there are other main characters too, but these are the the three at the center of the story. Belle has beauty, but she doesn't care. That's not what makes her her. It's a bonus on top. Cool. Awesome. Um, Gaston only cares about beauty, and there's nothing else going for him. And he's overly concerned about his looks. However, you can say almost that exact same character description for the beast who is also overly concerned about his looks with no self-love with no self-love where gaston only has Mm self-love and is driven completely by his self-love gaston is the beast if he were never cursed and grew to the age of 21 in his old ways gaston and the beast are the same character they just one just got called out and cursed Based on his selfish and rude and unwelcoming spirit. Yeah, you can't help but feel bad for Gaston because he goes through all this bad stuff and he dies. He gets thrown off the castle roof into the chasm. That was his fault. Spoilers. It was his fault. But like, (laughs) if some enchantress just came by and cursed him after the beast was cured, he'd be good in a couple years. He'd be fine. Would he though? What transformed the beast? What transformed the beast back to a human i'm not it's not breaking the spell you know it's not the little rain droppy fireworks stuff it's he loves someone else right so bell is completely disinterested in gaston she could transform gaston if she had agreed to marry him maybe she could have transformed gaston mm. the same way that the beast was transformed by bell but the beast wasn't transformed by Belle. The beast was transformed by him loving someone else. Gaston wants to marry Belle because he loves himself and he wants something beautiful that goes with everything. But maybe eventually, you know, as time went on in their marriage, maybe he would start to understand and maybe be transformed by their relationship together. Maybe. <laughs> you seem attached just- to this idea. I don't, I'm not attached. I'm just asking questions. <laughs> That's all. I just enjoy asking the question about these characters and as they go. But, but you make a really valid point. So Belle has beauty, doesn't care. Mm-hmm. She loves herself for other reasons. And she totally is fine with who she is. Mm-hmm. And she just, she knows who she is and she knows what she wants. And what she wants has nothing to do with where she lives. Mm-hmm. She, she wants nothing to do with that town. She's done with it. Nobody understands her. Mm-hmm. And maybe in her I Want song that she sings, um, maybe she'll find somebody who understands her, but that's like an afterthought. And someday it might be grand to have someone understand. I want so much more than they've got planned. Mm-hmm. But that's an afterthought. That's like maybe someday somebody will understand who I am. But 
I just want to live my life as myself. I like how that song ends with her saying, when will my story begin? Or some, some line akin to that. And you follow like the, the dandelion seed she blows and it goes over to um, the horse coming in empty with her father missing. And that's when her story begins. She's just asking, when will my story begin? Oh, right now. No, no. That's from Tangled. Tangled was, when will my life begin? I told you what Belle's last line was. I want so much more than they have planned. Well, it's, it's and then the dandelions. That's pretty much the same thing. Like, never mind. I'm no, I understand what you're saying. You're making your point. Just you're making your point. All right. Okay. But, so, um, and then Gaston has the beauty and loves himself. Beast does not have beauty and hates himself. Mm-hmm. He is neither. He is neither. Hashtag neither or neither. I was, Vote I was now. Not, no, no, no. I wasn't trying to correct you. I was simply repeating, but apparently that's what I say when I say that word. I wasn't trying. <laughs> I, I was trying to say agreement. I wasn't trying to correct your pronunciation. Now I realize what that set, what you heard was me trying to. No. No, I, I'm sorry, Mackenzie. Was Chris trying to correct Mackenzie's pronunciation? Vote now on Twitter at WG Animated. I was hashtag I totally wasn't. Hashtag, hashtag I totally wasn't. Is that a hashtag? I, I didn't mean it that way. I did not mean it that way. Apology accepted. Thank you. Thank you. Moving on. So as we as we get to these characters. Two of them get to have a song mm-hmm. about what they want and who they are and how they define themselves and how they define their world. Um, I believe, and I don't know if this is a fact, but from just thinking about the length of their songs, I think Gaston's is longer than Bell's song. I w- it's more memorable than Bell's song, for sure. Yeah, her want song is a little reprise to the villagers song so it's mm-hmm. not even her own song in this sense you know it's yeah. it's it's taking on their melody and changing it, its purpose to her life um and then we have gaston can we talk about gaston yeah let's talk about gaston and then i have a, so, I have a question when we're done talking about gaston a question about what oh I'll, uh, that's just a teaser you wait for it Oh, goodness. I've been thoroughly teased. Um, so Gaston, well done, your teaser has worked. Um, Gaston was designed and animated by the great Andreas Deja, who has a website, Deja, uh, D-E-J-A, View, V-I-E-W. It's, I'll just stop. So Deja View, where you can see his artwork, and he posts a lot of work. So some of my favorite scenes from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, he was responsible for, which was cool. But he talks about the design of Gaston. And he was trying to make Gaston a really caricatured, I want to say more traditional villain. Mm -hmm. Um, There's one interesting drawing where it shows Gaston in profile. And he has a tiny little French mustache for a little while. Um, And he has... You see him working on how big Gaston's chin should be. And you see it starting off as this giant, massive line. And then you see it also (laughs) going down to where it is now. Um, So in this, he wanted it to be a huge villain-looking version of it. And he says, um, this is from his website, When I was asked to go in a different direction and beautify Gaston... I drew the following portraits in protest, almost angry. I was thinking, is this what you want? You can't be serious. TV soap opera looks for a Disney villain, end quote. And when we look at it, it's like pretty much the drawings of Gaston as he appears in the film. Mm -hmm. It's like, like, is this what you want? And in the end, it's like, yeah, that is exactly what we want. Mm -hmm. Because the way he looks is a thematic choice it it speaks completely to the theme of everything and if he looked like a traditional caricatured disney villain 
I don't think he would operate as well. Well, it's it's uh, commenting on how all the other princesses have married someone very much like Gaston, not as ugly on the inside as him, but on the outside at first glance, he seems like everything that someone should want and you'd want in a fairy tale story. But it turns out he's not what you want. And we both had this thought separately um, <laughs> and wrote it down differently. Uh, but this dynamic between the prince who you should want and the person who is actually the love interest in the story, that trope wasn't used again until Frozen with Hans. Voiced by um, Santino Fontana mm-hmm. from a Crazy Ex-Girlfriend now. Crazy so Ex-Girlfriend. So you could still hear him singing along to different things, which is fun to imagine Hans singing certain songs. Mm. It's, it's just fun. I'm going to do that now. If you close your eyes and think of the Frozen characters as you hear Crazy Ex-Girlfriend songs, it just changes the meaning just a little bit. It's that would fun. work. I like it. So not for children. Hashtag don't let kids listen to that. Most of it. Most of it. Most anyway. Of it. So as you were saying, Hans looks like the prince you should have. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, their duet at the very beginning of Frozen, um, I believe my wife had audible eye rolls during that song. <laughs> just just of the ridiculousness of the Love is an Open Door song. Just, I can't believe that Disney is doing this in this year, in this age, that Disney's doing this. And it was just so wonderful when it got subverted. But but yeah, Gaston is the, the first. The first person who should be a prince that is totally wrong. Well, he's also one of those rare, like, straight male Disney villains, especially in this age where the villains are often coded gay with Ursula, Jafar, Scar, Governor Ratcliffe, and Hades, all in the same period. Um, I do give a special shout out to Shan Yu from Mulan, who is also a straight villain, uh, but he also doesn't get a song. He's too evil and straight to have a musical number. <laughs> That's very true. I, I don't even know what his musical number would be. I guess we would have to leave that to people to, who write the Mulan musical. In the bonus features for Mulan, they do have a rough cut of it before they decided that made him not scary anymore, so they cut it. Oh well, I have Mulan to go back to fact. my. We'll do that. I have to go back sometime. to my Mulan uh, Mulan DVD then, because I feel like I should have. I must have seen that bonus feature, but maybe it was so <laughs> forgettable that I didn't. Wow. Recall it. Uh, my Sorry. guess, Don. Question for you though: Who's the bad guy of this movie? Beauty and the Beast, not Mulan. Okay, I was like, Sean, you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Of um, Beauty and the Beast, who's the bad guy? Mm-hmm. The Enchantress. Um, I would say that that's you, a possibility. She's not on screen, but yeah. I I know. Um, we're we're given to believe that Gaston is the villain, mm-hmm. but the Beast is really the villain for like the first half. He takes her prisoner. He's keeping her dad hostage. He is he is the villain in the very beginning. Yes, it's um, things go topsy turvy midway. Gaston really doesn't become the villain until he sees, he starts acting the part. Um, until the song Gaston, he's not really terrible. He's not really the villain. I think it happens later than that. When does that happen? I play a game in Disney movies called Follow the Lime Green Animation. And in Beauty and the Beast, you could follow the uh, villain cue lime green effect with the magic mirror. The magic mirror is evil. And the beast starts with the magic mirror. And when he's obsessed with narcissism, he's using the magic mirror to look at people and has all the crazy lime green effect. And then he gives it to Belle when she leaves. And as soon as she gets back to the village, immediately Gaston takes the magic mirror and gets the lime green evil effect and the lime green glow. And it becomes really intense at that point. It does. Like that that mirror is going insane. It's going all wackadoodle. <laughs> wackadoodle Danny. To, to, to coin a phrase about the magic mirror. It, it, yeah, those that lightning is almost like uh sorcerer lightning at that point of just how 
hard it's going and how big those it that effect is happening with and it's like it's feeding on his anger mm-hmm. i'm not prepared that, that to song. say that the magic mirror is the bad guy of this movie but i think it represents the villain i think the bad guy's narcissism i see i see mm-hmm. what you're saying mm-hmm. okay boom hashtag english major <laughs> Was that the question you teased me about earlier? Was, yeah, who's, who's the, the bad guy in this movie? Who's the bad guy? I don't think there's a clear bad guy. It's a complex plot. There's someone who's ultimately it, a villain. That's true. I mean, the ultimate villain is Gaston in action. Mm-hmm. In terms of what corrupts somebody, you're right. The, the villain is not Gaston because Gaston doesn't corrupt anybody except the entire village. Um, he gets everyone behind him. I mean, once you put in a lot of fear into people, you can really control a huge segment of a population. Uh, Chris, we're not getting involved in politics in this podcast. I wasn't. I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about the song "Kill the Beast." What are you talking about? <laughs> "Kill the Beast" is a remarkable song because it's all about whipping up fear in order to tell them to be brave, let's go and kill the thing that we're all afraid of. Mm-hmm. It's got a good beat. You can march to it. My my favorite line in this, I, I have to say, and every time it happens, it makes a huge smile on my face. This is grabbing um, Howard Ashman and his genius in terms of putting something so on the nose but making it like but making it funny and subversive but also staying completely in line with the emotion that's happening of this so it's a scary line but it's funny but it's clever but it's also really true <laughs> and it's as they're marching the villagers all say we don't like what we don't understand in fact it scares us it's just wonderful <laughs> Oh, I just love that line so much. We don't like what we don't understand. In fact, it scares us. And this monster is mysterious at least. Let's kill the bee. This is turning into a musical episode of Writers Get Animated. Oh, I just love that. I'm not one to sing, but you have to sing that lyric. You know, kudos to Alan Menken to fitting that in with with the lovely melody of Kill the Beast as as it goes through. I don't... Kill the beast. Yeah, that Jack got really nervous during that song, but um, he uh, he got he got off the couch and went in front of the TV, and was like, "I'll be the train to help protect the castle." So he was trying to defend the castle along with everybody else. Okay, which was which was really strong. They, I think, if they they had had a train, that. <laughs> <laughs> The castle probably would have been safer from the onslaught of the villagers. I think if most people have a train to protect them, that they'd be better off. Like instead of a moat? Instead of a moat, get it, get a train. Mm-hmm. Get a train. Did Jack get like a train? Uh, the Jack rating for this, Jack enjoyed it very much. Good. Jack enjoyed it a lot. Um, he did not enjoy... Um, the scene with the wolves, the very first wolf scene. Oh, that's scary. With, with the father, uh, with Maurice. He did not enjoy that at all. Um, but he uh, he enjoyed the movie. He laughed a lot. He, he When he gets excited by something, he gets up. And he was up a lot, like dancing around and moving around and doing things. We had to stop him and sit, sit him down because he was missing some of the really funny stuff. <laughs> it's like... You have to sit down. This is visual. These are visual gags that are happening right now. There's slapstick humor. You're not going to appreciate it now or know what it's called. But when you're an adult, you're really going to be interested in this kind of stuff. Oh, Jack loves slapstick. If it's slapstick, it has the Jack seal of approval. If it was an hour and 30 minute film and all it had was people falling down, Jack would be like, Where's, why is this not winning more awards? This is like the best movie ever. I mean, it's just it's just remarkable what he finds funny. But um, can we can we talk another song? 
Yeah, what song do you want to talk about? There's so many options. Do, do you want to talk Be Our Guest? Uh, yeah, let's do Be Our Guest, which um, I will have to say, now that I know what all the French dishes are that they talk about, this song makes me a lot hungrier listening to it. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, that does sound really good. Let's go to this dinner party, guys. <laughs> Like, as a kid, they say, try the gray stuff. It's delicious. Like, no, I'm not going to try the gray stuff. And I'm like, give me the gray stuff. What is it? (laughs) It looks like pate. I think it's pate. And pate and crackers is a winning combination. So, and she just dips into it with her finger. Is that, like, is that something you would do? Maybe in her village, she's not used to fine food. Well, I mean, it's all for her. Like, it's not like anyone else is going to eat. Does a candle need to eat? I don't know. I have dramaturgical issues with the candle. Yeah, why do they even have food in the castle? They probably cook for the beast. But where are they getting this other stuff? You know, how how long has that stuff been sitting there? In the song Be Our Guest, we get a little bit of the backstory. We find out how long it's been. Mm -hmm. Ten years we've been rusting, needing so much more than dusting. Wait, wait, wait. Pause. Dramaturgical issue. The Beast was cursed when he was 11? That's Rochelle's first dramaturgical issue. Of of course he was selfish and a dick. He was an 11-year-old boy. Yeah. (laughs) You don't ask that question until this point. And until... But you're so involved in this Be Our Guest hoopla that you you miss the plot point of it's been 10 years and that's we get it in the in this really enjoyable song of how long they've been cursed but the portrait looks like unless it's doing you know some dorian gray type stuff and aging Mm -hmm. as he ages it seems like I would buy that, though, as a constant reminder of what he would look like if he weren't cursed. I can buy that. I like that. But still, they cursed an 11-year-old boy who didn't let a crazy woman into his castle. That's stranger danger. And he should have answered the door. He shouldn't have. And why was an 11-year-old prince alone at this castle? Is everyone dead now? Where are like, his where parents? Is, that's what, what I'm saying. What kingdom did he rule? That's what I'm saying. And why is he the one answering the door? What? Why wasn't Cogsworth cursed? I mean, Who's, he was cursed too. Well, I mean, but why wasn't it solely him? What did somebody be like? Hey, Prince. We don't know his name. And maybe it's. I think it's Adam. Like some people have said, it's Adam, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Prince. Someone's at the door. You want to get that eleven-year-old kid, Prince? Might be your peasants trying to kill you because you're pretty selfish, but you can get the door. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. I believe in you. (laughs) Do they have a spy hole? It's a crazy old woman with a rose. Do you want to, do you want to kick her out? No, no, no. I like kicking out old women. Let let me handle this guys. (laughs) I I got this, but your majesty. No, no, no. Let me (laughs) be gone. Ye wench be gone. This concludes the Writers Get Animated Detour into <laughs> Dramaturgical Issues. We now return to our regularly, our regularly scheduled Be Our Guest discussion. But I'm saying there's a major plot point that they put in this song that completely unravels some dramaturgy in my brain. It does. So, this movie's still a masterpiece. I'm, I'm, Even masterpieces have questions. This no, in no way detracts from my love of Beauty and the Beast. I'm just, it's just something that I have to say. Um, another thing, Beauty and the Beast, do you know where it originally was placed in the film? Be Our Guest? Yeah. Um, at the beginning? When she first gets to the castle? Nope. Mm, where? Be Our Guest was originally placed when Maurice is in the castle. Oh. Uh... So originally, this feast that they all create for him was done for Maurice. And they have animation done with him um, in the, getting the meal. 
And then that's when the beast throws him out. Instead of sitting in his chair, which I think is more effective, you get to see the beast's anger instead of, why is this crazy show tune happening? I should get get out of here. You know, it's it's more subtle. He's just sitting there in a chair and he gets taken in, taken prisoner. Mm. But but be our guest was originally there. I like the value of that too. I see merits to both ways that was that could have been executed. I think it works better where it is, mm-hmm. obviously. Who but, are we to say Disney made a bad choice storytelling wise? Right. I don't think they did. I think no, I, it, I think it makes perfect sense thematically on how excited they are because they see in her their opportunity and their chance to be um, human once more. Speaking of, we should talk before we're done today about Human Again, which is a song in the newly released version of the Beauty and the Beast movie that was not in the original theatrical cut and was replaced with something more, which is just between Belle and the Beast. Um, but they've re-added Human Again as a song in the movie right after Something More. And it's all about Cogsworth and Lumiere and Mrs. Potts talking about how much they miss being human. Not as I originally thought. Um, I thought they, based on the name, I thought it was a song at the end of the movie after the Beast transforms into human again. <laughs> and it's um, it's in the Broadway show, the Broadway version has human again in there so bringing it back in was it's pretty cool um because they brought it up in and re-released it as a special edition in imax with human again in there with good animation and it feels a little strange where it is there's Mm -hmm. there's a but they did pretty i think the way it begins, the scene in which it begins, the the dialogue and the little bit where human again starts throws throws it off a little bit, and you get a it feels a little yeah. strange there. The way it ends and the way that it continues into the story, it feels like a natural progression. It's just the beginning and getting mm-hmm. into it that that feels odd. It's. I think a very valuable symbolic point in the movie that I think adds a lot of value to this plot, but because it was replaced with something more, it's a little bit redundant. Um, Something more is really about like the relationship changing between beauty and the beast and human again is about symbolically the castles being cleaned up and redone, which is why it's pretty in the last half of the movie. The seasons are changing and I think that because you see the seasons change in that song, it adds a lot of stakes to the ballroom dance, which is immediately after this, because you know that they're running out of time and like, oh, a number of months have passed now. This is their last chance. Beauty and the Beast 2 happens somewhere in the middle, right here. Yeah, they have an enchanted Christmas of some kind and do battle with a villainous organ. Where, who is the bad guy in... Beauty and the Beast 2. I, I believe it's I think music. <laughs> <laughs> music itself. Music itself. Tim Curry. Um, is Tim Curry the organ? Yeah, Tim Curry is the organ. Oh, of man. Course. I know what I'm watching on Netflix tonight. <laughs> <laughs> That's a side note. So I vote Human Again. Good choice. Good on you, Disney. Add a get back in. Plus, who's going to argue with like ten more minutes of Beauty and the Beast? Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I. Th- I think it leads. It does ramp up the emotion, getting into um, the the title song, Beauty and the Beast. Is without it, the energy isn't as high. It's almost ramps it up to a Beauty and the Beast level of you want to stand up and clap for it. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the level that they rise the audience up to. I mean, it's this huge choral song that just fills you with a lot of excitement, and then you get into the preparation for taking it down a notch with Angela Lansbury's rendition of Beauty mm-hmm. and the Beast. 
Take one less all this time. One take. She did it in a single take. What? I didn't know that. That's a good fun fact. Yes, fun fact. It was done in a single, single take. I'm trying to imagine Angela Lansbury knocking down her mic afterward and saying, we're done here. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> That's a wrap, everybody. Well, what, I found an article because, you know, it's the 25th anniversary, so everyone's kind of finding all these little nuggets and these little stories. Um, so we'll post this in our show notes, but this article talking about this where she made plans to record, but there was a bomb threat on the day of the recording. So she had to like land in Las Vegas instead of going to New York. And finally she made it in New York. And finally they recorded like a demo version in one take, you know, just to get it out. Like, please just, could you just do it, please? And she's like, no, make some other characters sing it. Cause she didn't want to do it. She didn't think her voice was right for it. She didn't think that, that she understood the type of song it was. And she's like, I don't want to do this ballad. I don't want to do it. Um, and she finally did it in a single take really fast, you know, <laughs> one recording studio thing. And that's it. That's the film version is her just like, fine, I'll just do it now after all this crazy stuff getting done. That's the take that's there. I like that. It's rough, and knowing that backstory, I like that it's rough because it does sound like your grandmother's telling you a story. Mm-hmm. Which I think is exactly what they're going for in the first place, so I'm glad there was a bomb threat that day. Then <laughs> it made it even more crazy and hasty, and there's a lot of emotion. I just, um, the way that it's done, the... They talked about how simple the lyrics are for it. You know, Tale as Old as Time, song is, uh, just how small it is and how simple it is. But everything else is so big mm-hmm. that I'm glad that the lyrics are a little simpler. Yeah. The, mu- the music is, is larger. The feelings are huge. And also the environment Was- is... And is, was, and is still amazing. That, it's just remarkable. That, it, it's aged well. Very well. Even though it's early computer graphics. Yeah, they, they took what they learned from Rescuers Down Under and made the ballroom. Like, they, they understood that if we're going to use CG, this was Disney in the 90s, if we're going to use CG, we use it one time really really well in one scene Mm -hmm. where we can just completely blow all the budget on this one scene of cgi and make that one scene look really good and not do it anywhere else but being able to animate those camera movements and have the characters waltzing and matching their actions to the camera, to the moving CGI camera is and just... And that's it. I think that oh. this is still looks good because of the how well the actual hand-drawn animation is and how that matches a perspective. Yeah. I think it's still breathtaking because it works really well. Uh, my other thing on the scene is, from a writing perspective, what I think makes it really effective is it is a love song from an outsider's perspective. It's not... Belle and the Beast singing about how in love they are, like you would get in a typical like Disney musical. It's someone else singing about how they're falling in love. Yeah. That's why I like it. Subtle moment. Yeah. It's all from the outside. I think if it was them singing to each other, it'd be a different song. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that would... It's our tale all this time. Our album, since it's been delivered at our doorstep that we printed out online. Our karaoke song we sung last week. (laughs) Oh, goodness. So, (laughs) what else do we need to say about about Beauty and the Beast that we haven't said so far? It's just, I, I feel like they've done everything so well in it I, I was excited to watch it again me too uh i rediscovered a lot of magic moments i 
I certainly have. It was a hard toss-up for me. I have two favorite things from this movie. You do? What's Okay, what's your first favorite thing? First one is Maurice coming out from Under's Invention and saying, with the giant glasses and his crazy head contraption thing, saying, odd, where do they get an idea like that? <laughs> right. And second thing, which I did not catch as a kid, the Beast is asking Cogsworth for advice on how to win over um, a girl's heart. And Cogsworth says, oh, with flowers, chocolates, promises you don't intend to keep. Like, whoa, 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 Disney. That went way over my head. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's an adult laugh line. So the kids, the kids understand something's there, but they don't, they don't know what's actually happening in that scene. That's really the comedy in there. And I, I, we have to give Howard Ashman as an executive producer a lot of credit for what he was bringing to the story and trying to strengthen the story where it's really those two outsiders, you know, both for different reasons. One because of what he looks like and the other because of what she, her actions cause her to be outsiders from society, which is so interesting. But um, my favorite thing, I, I, I struggle with it because I, there's just so many moments <laughs> that that just ring so true. I feel like something something there, mm -hmm. that song, I feel like is one massive um, one massive favorite thing. Mm -hmm. But I I think there's the the thought that Bill has. She's she's kind of helped the beast cat you know entice these birds and get into his and get get excited about these birds like a little kid would be excited about getting a look the birds on my hand and she goes around the tree and she says new and a bit alarming and while she's doing it she's playing with her one finger like oh gosh what am i doing what is what is happening? But is it specifically the finger that you're playing with now that we can't see in this podcast? Yes, the ring it's, finger. It's her. It's her. Well, it's not her. It's her right ring finger. Oh, I believe the engagement it, finger. It might be her left one. I'm trying to think back to it and on the truth. It might be her. Her, it, but it is her ring. It is a ring finger, where she's just playing with it, and it's just this tiny little character moment of just a very natural action you know new and a bit alarming and she feels that weirdness on it like oh gosh i don't know what i'm doing it's just a very human thing that i think that's probably my favorite moment it just stood out to me today rewatching it again but i just love that moment it's a good one there's lots of good character moments here oh so good <laughs> I'm closing I'm closing that Fairydale book. <laughs> it's closed. Should we talk homework time? Let's talk homework time. For homework, we're going to be discussing something else from the 90s. Mm -hmm. With a <laughs> lot of other character moments in a very different way. <laughs> we're going to be discussing Animaniacs. I'm done now. Uh, so Animaniacs, we're going to be talking about just Animaniacs in general. If you want uh, to watch a couple, you can watch, let's see, episode four, volume one, episode four, Hooked on a Ceiling. Mm -hmm. Volume one, episode 60, Karaoke Doki. Anything and pinky in the brain. Anything with Pinky in the Brain, find a good Pinky in the Brain episode, and then just watch your favorites. And as a side note, I think Netflix should have a randomizer for each show. So mm -hmm. just like you go to Animaniacs and you hit the random button and it just picks an Animaniacs episode, or you go to Futurama, or you go to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, oh. or you go to any of these things on Netflix. Um, so go to Netflix and watch some Animaniacs. Just let it autoplay for a while. Because mm -hmm. you don't uh, know what you're going to get. 
It's not like you watch them in order as a kid. So please, Netflix, we ask for a randomizer button per show. Mm-hmm. And also, if you want, you could do a try try your luck at just <laughs> Netflix in general. But then you'll get Leo the Lion. Possibly Leo. You have to run that risk. It's part of the fun. <laughs> and you can't watch anything else on Netflix until you finish what it's randomly given you. It's like, show my list. Oh, your list is unavailable until you watch this. <laughs> no, 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 play something else. Yep. That function is not nope. available. Nope. You, you asked for this. You literally <laughs> asked for this on a podcast. We gave it to you. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, watching Animaniacs for next time. As always, thank you to Jacob Reed for the music, to our engineer, Nigel Cotino. Find us on the web on Twitter at WG Animated. Find our show notes and everything like that at writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. Also, we're on the Facebooks, facebook.com slash WG Animated. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find us and enjoy us. And um, we just get to hear from more people. Because we're doing a musical episode, I'm going to serenade us out. Okay, um, okay. Take, take it away. Podcasts long as ours, words as old as Mickey Mouse, writers get animated. I just made that up right now. And you know what? I couldn't tell. <laughs> Thank you. At all. Thank you. Good night, everybody. <laughs> da, da, da.